But before I jump into the message, I just want to bring to our attention the fact that we are praying over five things in this season, from now until the end of the year. And I have, uh, and you can get this online, it's just a little prayer reminder that you can put, I don't know, on your refrigerator, on your dashboard, where we're praying for our new pastor, where we're praying for what we're going to give in missions this year, where we're praying for ourselves, where we're praying for other people who we can invite to church, and we're praying for where we can serve. And with that, I wanted you to know as we're adding to that is that we're adding on a prayer walk. We got four locations in our area, Plano, Frisco, and Allen. And we're encouraging you as the weather gets better to go out on a walk, maybe by yourself, maybe with your family, and you can pray. We got one on the screen there. It's called Plano Oak Point. And you can see that there are five points. And as you're walking, you can stop there and you can pray over that list or you can walk past it and be reminded of it and pray. And it'll be good for you. If you, if you walk, it'll be good for you physically. If you take others with you, it'll be good for you relationally. And as you pray, it'll be good for you spiritually. We're just trying to cover all the bases. And it would be just a fun way that we as a church can just talk to God about the things that we want to see God do in our spiritual family. With that, we also have a care card ministry. And I want to encourage you not to stop doing ministry. One of the greatest needs that we have right now with this pandemic is in the area of loneliness. And we have this all plotted out for you with cards and everything else that you can begin praying over people in your circle, in your neighborhood, at your work, where you can write them a card, an encouraging card, and send it to them. And so I want to encourage you, if you're interested in that, please get in contact with us at LifePoint. Now, like I said, we're in a series about prayer called Conversations with God. And one of the things that just irritates the living daylights out of me is when someone calls and they don't identify themselves. You know what I'm talking about here? They just start talking and they assume that you know who they are. When you don't know who is on the other end, folks, it affects your conversation. It affects what you say when you don't know who's on the other end. It affects what words you use or you don't use when you don't know who's on the other end. It affects how you address them if you don't know who's on the other end. When I am out and about in the community, I always know those who are in our spiritual family because they might, because they'll see me and they'll say, hey, PG, how are things going? I'll say, hey, that's great. It's good to see you. But when someone has only been here maybe a few times and said, oh, hello, Reverend Pfizer, I go, whoa, <laughs> you talking to me? So proximity and relationship determine how you talk to someone. Folks, the same is true with God. At the top of your outline, I have this. Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything else in your life, including your prayers. Nothing influences your life more than how you view God. And a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about them. Listen to just a few of these. Some people think God is cranky, that he's grumpy, 
that he's angry, that he's unpleasable, that, that he's flaky, that he's moody, that he wakes up with a bad hair day a lot of times, that he's the cosmic cop, that he is the dictator God, that he is the Santa Claus God, that he is the Mr. Potato Head God. You can just put him together any way you want. People often say, well, I think God is like. Well, guess what? It really doesn't matter what you think God is like. What matters is what God is. And so it's extremely important that you know the real God if you have any misconceptions about God, prayer will be a duty and not a delight. As I mentioned last week, God doesn't want us to be driven by guilt, but rather drawn by grace to pray. And so your concept of God determines that. A.W. Tozer said this. He was a famous pastor back in the 50s and 60s. What comes to your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. And it affects your prayers. So what is God like? Well, he's got many characteristics. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He is everywhere at the same time. He is omnipresent. He is holy, he is just, he is kind, he is loving, he is faithful. Over the 32 years that we have been together as a spiritual family, we have talked about a lot of these different characteristics of God. This morning, I want to talk about the goodness of God. Because his goodness is the basis for prayer. If God is not a good God, you have no reason to pray. You have no motivation to pray. But God is a good God. The only reason that there is good in this world is because God is a good God and he has built goodness into it. In fact, you can't spell good without God. If there's no God, folks, there's no good. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no good. There's no bad. Now, people will say, well, then where in the world did evil come from? And the answer to that, honestly, is simple. That is not a hard answer. It's because God doesn't force you to do good. A good God gave you a free choice. And unfortunately, Oftentimes, people make bad ones. Now, because God is good all the time, folks, we know four things about prayer. And I want you to understand these again, because the premise of this message is that God doesn't want us to be guilt-driven in regards to prayer, but rather he wants us to be drawn by grace to pray. If your prayers become boring, if they become ritual, if they become like a ceremony, it's only because you don't understand how good God is. So this morning, let's take a look at four implications of God's goodness and how they affect the way you pray. The first one is simply this. Because God is always good. God's plans for my life 
will always be good. Why? Because God is good. Now, people ask me, George, is there anything that God can't do? And my answer is really short and simple. Yes, there's a lot of things that God can't do. God can't deny himself. God can't be evil because God is good. And because God is good, God's plans for your life are good. Jeremiah 29, 11. God spoke this to Jeremiah, but the principle applies to us. I know what I've planned for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you hope and a good future. And when you call to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. Do you see the connection between purpose and prayer? Do you see the connection between God's purpose for your life and your prayer life? Now, I know I've said this many times before. You are not an accident. Everything that God has ever made, he made with a purpose. Now, he didn't have to. He could have made things without a purpose, but he chose not to. And he made you for a purpose. He put a lot of thought into you and he has got good plans for your life. Now you may be sitting there in your pajamas or around the kitchen table or whatever and you might ask, well, how do I know God's plan? God's plan for your life is revealed through prayer. The more you pray, the more you're gonna understand God's plan for your life. The Bible says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And when you call to me, I will answer. God's got good plans. David said it like this in Psalms 31 verse 19. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish on on those who come to you. Prayer for protection, blessing them before the watching world. Folks, you and I have not because we ask not. God says everything that I do in your life is good. I don't have bad plans for you. But oftentimes in life, when something happens, happens tragically, brings pain or suffering into our life, we begin to think that God is getting even with us. It's not true. God is not mad at you, folks. God is mad about you. But Pastor George, not everything in my life is good. I understand that. But also understand that God never promised that everything in your life would be good. It says, I have plans for you, meaning you will experience bad on this side of eternity because you live in a broken world. Everything is broken. And because of that, sometimes people make bad choices and you suffer for it. Sometimes because you and I have broken minds, we make bad choices for ourselves and we suffer from it. Nothing is perfect on this side of eternity. 
But God comes along and he says, even in the middle of your brokenness and poor choices that you make, I can fit it all in for good. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This verse doesn't say that all things are good. It says that God will work all things out for good. He'll take the good, the bad, and the ugly. That is if you get a relationship with him. If you come to him and you say, God, I'm giving you my life. I want a relationship with you and I want to fulfill the purposes for which you made me. When you do that, God comes along and he says, okay, I'll take the good, the bad, and the ugly and I'll mix it all up and guess what? It's going to come out good. Just like a chocolate chip cookie. In a chocolate chip cookie, there's a lot of good, bad, and ugly stuff in the dough, okay, as you're making the dough. But you mix it all together, you throw it in the oven for a, at 325 degrees for about 15 minutes, and man, oh man, are those chocolate chip cookies good. That is what God does for you if you establish a relationship with him. And why does he do that? Because folks, He's a good God. Now, the more you pray, the better you're going to know your purpose. And the better you know your purpose, the more God can use everything in your life for good. Even the stuff that people do to you that's not good. There's a story in the Old Testament, in Genesis, of a guy named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was at the age of about 13, and he was in slavery, slavery for about 30 years in Egypt until God raised him up to be the second in command, kind of like the vice president of Egypt, okay? And after that had happened, he and his brothers are joined together again. And this is what he says to them. Your plan was to hurt me, but God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. Now this is called redemptive suffering. Joseph is a picture of Christ and he suffered at the hands of his brothers, but God used it for good to save his brothers and his family from starvation. This is what Jesus did on the cross when he died for your sins. He, there was redemptive suffering going on because, he was on because when he was on that cross, he wasn't there for his sins. Folks, he was there for our sins. And it turned out good for us. God says, not all things are good, but God can use all things for good. Folks, anybody can t bring good out of good, but it only God can take, uh, bring good out of bad. So the more you trust the goodness of God, the happier you're going to be because you're going to begin to see your character developed and God using those situations to make you 
a better person. Take a look at Romans 5, 3. So we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Sounds like a masochist, doesn't it? For we know, stop right there. Happiness depends on what you know. What does Paul say we know? For we know that they are good for us. They help us learn patient endurance. You see, even when we suffer wrongly, we can rejoice knowing that God will bring good out of it by building our character. And God is far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. You're not going to take your cash or your car or your career to heaven. But guess what? You will take your character. And your character on this side of eternity is the foundation for your happiness. And so when things go wrong in your life, God is not trying to get even. He's not mad at you. He's just trying to grow you. And so the first thing that we learn that helps us to be drawn by grace and not driven by guilt to pray is that God has good plans for us. The second pillar of God's goodness is this. Will you write this down? God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. If you and I got what we deserve, folks, we wouldn't be here at all. Take a look at Psalms 103, verse 10 and 12. He has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our, our wrongs. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. In his goodness, he has taken our sins away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. Folks, I like that last phrase. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? It's forever. There is no end to the east or the west like the north pole and, and the south pole, okay? Which means that God, when he forgives, he forgives forever. And if God has forgiven you that way, don't you think it's time to forgive yourself? Because God is good, folks. He gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness forever. King David comes along and he commits adultery and on top of that, he then commits a murder. We're talking two big ones here. But because David knows the goodness of God, he asks God for mercy. And this is what he prays. In Psalms 51, O loving and kind God, have mercy, have pity upon me, and take away the awful stain of my transgressions. O wash me, cleanse me from this guilt. Let me be pure again. David is pouring out his heart and he's saying, God, I don't want to be driven by guilt. I want to be drawn by your grace. Now, all of that is based on who God is and not on who you are. So let me make this very clear. God forgives you 
forever and ever and ever and ever. Not because you're good, but because he's good. But Pastor George, I'm good in this area right here. Well, let's just take a little microscope to that goodness that you say is there. Under God's microscope, his standard is perfection. Is it perfect? I don't think so. You see, God's forgiveness to you is not because you're good, because you and I aren't. It's because he's good. Now, here is the cool thing. Not only does God forgive you, you, your sins, when you come to him and you ask for forgiveness and mercy, but he welcomes you back. Now, this is a big deal. He doesn't reject you. He receives you. It is the exact opposite of what people often do. You hurt them. You sin against them. And guess what? They may forgive you. In fact, they'll say, yo, I forgive you. But they won't want to have anything to do with you. Hey, back off, Jackson. I don't trust you anymore. But God doesn't doesn't reject you. He receives you. God is unlike people. Now, If I'm a good pastor, and if is a big word, if I'm a good pastor, it's only because you're good and you've kept me around for 32 years. And what I know about you over 32 years is that your deepest fear is the fear of rejection. And you might ask, well, George, how how do you know that? How have you observed this? Well, in 32 years, I can't tell you how many marriages or weddings I've performed. Folks, I've performed dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of them for you and for your kids. And what I have observed at the reception is simply this, that many of you don't like to get out on the dance floor and shake your booty, okay? Because you're afraid that someone might think that you look stupid. And so you don't do certain things and you don't go to certain places and you don't have certain friends because you don't want to be rejected. There is a book that I read a number of years ago. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? And the answer to that question in the book is because if I do, you might not like me and I'm all I've got. So I'm gonna wear a mask and I'm gonna pretend because I don't wanna be rejected by you. Now I want you to listen to this church. We have walked together for 32 years. God will never, never, never reject you. Even when you sin against him, even when you intentionally hurt him, God will never reject you. He will receive you. 
And so when you come back to God, understand he doesn't keep you off at an arm distance. No, he receives you. Listen to the tenderness in this verse. In Psalms 27, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. My enemies are waiting for me to fall, yet I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord while I am living here in the world. Do you hear the tenderness in that verse? Everybody wants to be held close as they are on the dance floor of life. Everybody does. And that is what God does for you. Why does God, why does David believe this? Because of the goodness of God. Now because God is always good, when we pray, after, even after we have blown it, we can come into God's presence, folks, boldly. We don't have to come in mousy. We can come in boldly because, it, it, because it's not a matter of who you are. It is a matter of who God is. And so even if you've blown it, you can come into God's presence and have the confidence that he hears what you are saying and that he will embrace you. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same temptations we do. Yet he did not sin. We do. We have flops, failures, and fumbles. So let us come boldly with confidence to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find the grace to help us when we need it. You see, when it comes to prayer, God doesn't want us to be driven by guilt, but rather drawn by grace. And it is the goodness of God, of him giving us what we need and not what we deserve forever and ever and ever that helps us to be in relationship where we can talk to him about anything and everything. So how do I know that God's good? God always has good plans for my life. He always gives me what I need and not what I deserve. This third one is going to shock you. God puts my good above his own good. This is the heart of the gospel. The king sacrifices himself for the peasants. The reason that I know that the Bible is true and not a fairy tale is because in fairy tales, the peons, the peasants, the soldiers die for the king and the queen and the prince and the princess. There is only one story where the king dies for the people. It's called the gospel. 
This is what makes our faith different from every other storyline in the world. You and I blow it. We're just peasants. We're just peons. And God says, you know what? You deserve to die for your sins. But because I'm a good God, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. It's the king sacrificing himself for the peasant. This is the ultimate expression of love. Take a look at what Jesus said in John 10, 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me and I will sacrifice my life for my sheep. Really? You gotta be kidding me. Folks, no shepherd in history has ever sacrificed themselves for their sheep. Buddha didn't, Muhammad didn't, Confucius didn't. Only Jesus did. The God of the universe who created this world is a good God, and he died sacrificing himself for you. Take a look at John 15, 13. The greatest love you can have for your friends is to give your life for them. And so when you look at the cross, whether that be around your neck as a brace or as a necklace, or whether that be in a cemetery, or whether that be on a church building, understand this, it is the greatest symbol of the goodness of God. Because nobody, but nobody, will pay for your sins except Jesus Christ. Now here is the mind-blowing thing. God not only pays for your sin, but folks, he imputes his goodness on you. He puts his goodness inside of you. He takes out the bad and he puts in the good. This is called the great exchange. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's goodness. He takes out all of the bad and he puts in all of God or Christ's goodness in you. Here's another verse, Romans 4, 25. Jesus died for our sins and rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. So let me say this again, but let me say it like this. In God's eyes, he does not see sin in your life, even right now. He doesn't see the sin that you did yesterday. He doesn't see the sin that you did today. And he doesn't see the sin that you will do tomorrow. Which means when you get to heaven and you say, God, about those sins that I did in eternity past, God's going to say, what sins? Folks, that is amazing. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with prayer? 
It has everything to do with prayer. If you don't understand what I just said in these past few minutes, you're going to find that prayer is going to be a duty and not a delight. Because what God did for you on the cross, folks, is the basis for prayer. Take a look at Romans 8, 32. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave Christ up for us all, won't he now also give us everything else we have? Do you see the logic in this verse? When Christ died on the cross for your sins, folks, he solved your biggest problem. And everything else is small potatoes. And if he loved you enough to sacrifice himself for you, don't you think that he's going to help you with your bills, with your health, with your relationships when you ask him? Of course he will. Folks, there is nothing that you can't bring to God that he isn't interested in, that he doesn't want to share his plan with you. He did the ultimate already. So everything else is small potatoes. God's plan for my life are always good. God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. God puts my good above his good. And then the fourth one, he does not say yes to every request. There is nothing in the Bible that says that everything that we ask for, he says yes to. Now, we talked about this last week, that God is not a genie in a bottle where we just kind of rub it the right way and we, he grants us our three greatest wishes. He's not a magic wand that we wave and say the secret words and we get what we want. He's not a vending machine where we throw a couple of prayers in and pull the knob and we get what we've asked for. But he does answer prayer. And like I mentioned last week, he answers prayer one of four ways. Three of them are, we're real familiar with. Yes, no, and not yet. The fourth one, not so much, which is, in my words, you gotta be kidding me. You're asking, what? Oh, come on, okay? And we've all asked those kinds of prayers before. Let me give you another way to look at how God answers prayer. When your request is not right, God says no. And God says no to a lot of your requests, just like a parent says no to their kids for a number of reasons. When your request is not right, God says no. When your request is good, but the timing is wrong, God says slow. There is a big difference between delay and denial. And if you don't know the difference, it's because you're immature. Sometimes the request is right, the timing is right, but you're not right. And so God says, grow. You need to grow up and you need to mature. Now, when the request is right and the timing is right and you are right, God says, go. Many times God says no or slow or grow 
or go? And each of those answers are legit. They are answers from God. Take a look at Luke chapter 11, 11 through 13. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish to eat, would you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Let's stop right here. <laughs> this is funny to the Middle Eastern disciple, okay? Because this is humor through exaggeration. And the disciples are laughing their blessed assurance off, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? Jesus, they're saying, that is a real good one, okay? Of course not. So if you, as a sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The point is this, God will never give you anything that will hurt you, just like an imperfect father wouldn't. Now, realize this. Sometimes we ask for things that we really don't understand what we are asking for. That is why I say God's response is, what? you got to be kidding me. Really? You're asking for that? This actually happened in Jesus' ministry. One day, a, the mother of James and John, Jesus' disciples, came to him and asked him, Jesus, I want you to put my boys on the left and right of you when you are in your kingdom. And Jesus responded to her in Matthew 20, or Matthew 20 verse 22. You don't realize what you're asking for. I.e., my words, you, you want what? you got to be kidding me, okay? Many times God has wanted to say that to you. You don't realize what you're asking for. That isn't really what you want. That isn't really what you need. you got to be kidding me. Now let's be honest. It's easy to trust God's goodness when everything is good. But the test of your faith is can you say God is a good God when life is bad? The test of your faith isn't how high you jump when you are singing a song and everything is good in life. No, the test is how straight you walk when life is bad and yet you still say God is a good God. The reality is there are some prayers that we pray that while we are in pain, while we are struggling, when while we are suffering, while life isn't good, we pray prayers that we don't understand what we're praying. I will never forget the last time I had stomach flu where I was hanging over the throne and I was puking my guts out, if you know what I mean. And I am crying out to God, God, take away this pain right now. And if you don't just take me home with you right now. Cheryl was watching as I was puking my guts out. And honestly, she was laughing at me a little bit because I was crying out, God, take this pain away now. God, uh, if you don't, just take me home right now. And in one sense, it was kind of funny. But I was like that for a couple of days. When that happened, 
Was I to doubt God's goodness? Was I to stop praying? Was I to think that prayer doesn't work? No. You see, what, what, what God was teaching me in that moment was simply this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. I.e., George, you can handle a whole lot more pain than what you realize. And over my 48 years of walking with God, I have learned that I profit more through pain than I do through pleasure. That when God is all you've got, guess what? I have learned that God is all you need. And as I was praying on my knees over my throne, praying at one level, God was thinking at a higher level. Take a look at Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts are completely different from yours, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And while you and I walk down life's road and experience things that we can't even begin, begin to imagine. And when it hurts, the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust the goodness of God? The fifth and final thing is this. Will you write this down? He invites us to live with him forever. God wants to show his goodness to you for all eternity. And we talked about this several series ago. Uh, the series, Walking with God Through Uncertainty, out of Psalms 23. And I want to read this one verse and then make this one point. Verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why do I put this point in prayer? Because until you are absolutely convinced that God is a good God all the time, from the beginning of your life all the way to the end of your life, until you understand that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, from the beginning to the end of your life, your prayers are going to be powerless, passionless, and pointless. On the other hand, when you realize no matter how you feel, no matter what it looks like, no matter how it turns out, no matter when it happens, that God is for you and not against you, that he is for you more than you are for yourself. When you understand that, your prayers will become passionate, they will become purposeful, and they will become powerful. So let me ask you this. What do you want to see God do in your life for the rest of 2020? 
Think about that. What is it that you're believing God that you want to ask God to do in your life for the rest of 2020? Whatever it is, the foundation for it is God's goodness. It is the way you tap in to God's power, God's plan, God's peace, God's presence, God's purpose. Understand this, church. Satan isn't afraid of your power. He isn't afraid of your presence, your peace, your purpose, your plan. But he is afraid of your prayers. Because that is where you tap in to God. And Satan knows that anytime God wants to do something cool in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your community, in your church, in your world, he starts by motivating you to pray. So let me end with a big view and bring it down. Our nation needs a spiritual awakening. Our nation needs God. Our community needs a spiritual awakening. Our community needs God. Our families need a spiritual awakening. Our families need God. Our marriages need a spiritual awakening. Our marriages need God. Folks, our church needs a spiritual awakening. Our church needs God. You need a spiritual awakening. You need God. And you need to ask God, God, will you revive my heart and help me to see how good of a God you really are. God, revive my heart. Revive my small group. God, revive our church. God, I don't want to be driven by guilt. I want to be drawn by your grace. 